Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for that promise that Jesus lived that perfect life, died on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins and rose from the dead, emptying the grave, something that that none of us could ever do for ourselves, not save ourselves from sin, not rise from the dead, but Jesus promises us both that we not only can be given a life of faith, a life of goodness, a life of meaning and purpose here and now, but we're going to rise again when we die to this life and be with you forever. So God, today as we turn to hearing about some unlikely victories that you have given us as your people, and I, I say that your people when I'm talking right now about the Israelites, but the, the, our, our ancestors in the faith, the Israelites, were given a, an amazing victory um, over Jericho. And then we see the most important victory of all that you gave us 2,000 years ago when Jesus conquered sin and death. And so we pray that your Holy Spirit will lead us, guide us, empower us, not only to hear your words, but to believe them and then live them out in our life this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome once again to New Life Online. If this is your first time with us, I, I want to once again just simply say thanks for joining us. We started New Life nearly two decades ago for people who had either given up on church, never tried church, just didn't see church as having a point or just irrelevant the way it was. We, we, we wanted to do something different. Now, church online wasn't a thing in those days. Uh, there were a few churches around that had television services on the weekends, but for the most part, the technology just wasn't there for online services. I'm so glad for that technology that allows you to join us today. And if you are a member or a regular attender of New Life, thanks for joining us again, for keeping coming back week after week, because after all, the church is people, and it's people like you that make New Life special. When the other pastors and I met earlier this summer to plan the year ahead, to figure out what would be the new theme for the year, all of us were ready for some, uh, basically, some fresh starts. And I was prayer walking the morning of July 11th, and as I was prayer walking, I was thinking about how ready I was for things to change. I mean, I was really tired of the pandemic. I was really tired of hearing about how angry everybody was, at least in our part of the world. And even some, you know, snipping back and forth seemed to be going on between the folks here at New Life. And I thought to myself, man, wouldn't it be great if we could just start over? And that's when it hit me. Our life in Jesus Christ is a new beginning that's followed by a new life filled with more new beginnings. So we have a new beginning in Jesus Christ, and then anytime we really want to, we can start again. If we get off the track, if we you know, get sidetracked, if we get into the, the, the weeds of the pandemic, we can just start over again. And so I texted myself this message so I'd remember. It said, new beginnings, because with God, we can have a fresh start at any moment. When the rest of the team saw it, they agreed that new beginnings would be a great theme for the coming year, for this fall all the way through until next August, and so it is. And Pastor Alex kicked off our first New Beginning series last weekend with a powerful message about being strong and courageous. The series is called New Beginnings, The Promised Land. Throughout history, God has offered new beginnings to individuals and nations, particularly the nation of Israel. And in the book of Joshua, we read about God leading the Israelites back into the promised land after they had been away in Egypt 
for 400 years. Now, why did they leave Israel in the first place, the promised land? Because there was a famine. The famine had come and it was going to last for seven years. They didn't know that, but the Egyptians did. Amazingly, the Egyptians knew that the famine was coming and that it would be preceded by seven years of plenty because of an Israelite, Joseph, who was one of the 12 sons of Jacob, also known as Israel, and for whom the nation is named. If you've never heard the story of Joseph and how he saved not only Egypt, but Israel and probably some other nations that weren't even mentioned at the time because of providing uh, food miraculously. In any case, if you haven't heard that story, you can read it at the end of Genesis. It's in the last 15 pages of that book, which is the first book of the Bible. It's well worth taking the time to read. So after Joseph died, many years passed and the Egyptians forgot Joseph and they forgot what God had done and how God had blessed them through the Israelites. And so they did an incredibly challenging thing for the Israelites. They put them into slavery. And that slavery lasted for hundreds of years. They cried out to God. God heard their voice and God decided to deliver the Israelites through Moses. So it was Moses, his brother Aaron, and 10 amazing plagues that convinced the Egyptians to let the Israelites go. Now, it should have taken about two weeks for the Israelites to navigate their way back from Egypt back to the promised land. It was just two weeks. That's it. But unfortunately, it didn't happen that way. The people of of Israel were not ready to enter the promised land. You see, it was easy for God to get the slaves out of Egypt, but it wasn't so easy to get the Egypt out of the slaves. They wanted a new beginning. The Israelites certainly wanted a new beginning, but they just couldn't get over their past. They just couldn't forget about it. As difficult as it was to live as slaves, there were certain things that they remembered. When they got out into the wilderness and when they got onto the trek towards the promised land to their new beginning, what they saw ahead of them was not a new beginning, but they saw a whole lot of obstacles. And they they said, you know, back in Egypt, we had plenty of food. Back in Egypt, the Egyptians took care of us. We didn't have to worry about being attacked by any other nations. We had work, and it was predictable. Now, the work was very hard. They were slaves. But, you know, life, even a hard life, if it's predictable, sometimes seems better than a life that's not so predictable. In fact, they would have to trust God to provide food for them miraculously, which he did, by the way. They would have to, provi- they would have to trust God to protect them from their enemies, which he did miraculously, even so they just weren't ready for the new beginning that God provided. So Moses sent 12 spies into the promised land before they entered into it to see what the land was like. Now, 10 of those spies came back with an incredible report. They said, this land is flowing with milk and honey. It's an incredible land. And then they said, but... And you know, isn't that the way of human beings? There always seems to be a but. And they said, but there are giants living in the land. They saw no way that the Israelites could reclaim the promised land, even though it was God who had promised the land to them. That's why it's called the promised land, because God said it would be theirs forever. And so this entire generation that wouldn't believe, because when the 10 spies said, we can't do it, The rest of the people of Israel at that time agreed with the 10 spies and they said, we're not going to go in there. We're going to go back to Egypt. Now, there are two spies who disagreed. Their names are Joshua and Caleb, and we're going to talk about them in a minute. But that entire generation who were adults, who had left Egypt as slaves and who were going to go into the promised land, never got to go there. They never got to experience their new beginning. God had a great new beginning for them, but they ended up dying in the desert. 
Pastor Alex picked up last week with the new generation of Israelites who were getting ready to go into the promised land. And as I said, only two men, Joshua and Caleb, the two spies who gave a good report. In fact, when they came back, what they said, hey, this is the new beginning we've been waiting for. God is going to deliver these people into our hands. Let's go. But because no one but Jacob, I mean, Joshua and Caleb believed it, and Moses, of course, Joshua and Caleb were the only ones who were able to accompany the new generation into the land. And Joshua was actually the leader. Moses died. Joshua became the leader. And as they were getting ready to go into the land, Joshua had been told by God, be strong and courageous. And that's the message Pastor Alex shared with us last week. If you missed it, I would encourage you to go to the New Life app or newlifexn.org and watch it. Watch it. So Joshua had already been serving God for more than 40 years as a servant of Moses. Now he's the new leader, and he's going to lead people into the promised land. And Joshua and the people faced tremendous challenges. The same people who had lived there 40 years ago, you know, the ones that were filled with giants, those same people still lived there. They hadn't left during the 40 years. And when they heard that the Israelites coming, they didn't say, oh, this is the Israelites' promised land. Um, We've just been keeping it warm while they were gone. We'll leave, and we'll just let them come in. It wasn't like that at all. They were going to have to take the land by force. So if you've read the book of Joshua you know that God performed some amazing feats for the Israelites. One of those is the very first battle that they went through as they went into the promised land. So let's look at today's take-home point, which if you don't know what a take-home point is, because maybe this is your first time, it's the one point that we want to take home with us and think about and live out in the week ahead. And so here it is. Unlikely victories come when we follow God's commands. Unlikely victories come when we follow God's commands. The first generation of Israelites who left Egypt never experienced their new beginning because they rejected God's commands. They weren't willing to obey him. But this new generation of Israelites was going to experience the new beginning of living in the promised land, but it would require obedience to God in order to happen. So let's make one thing clear. Before we go to Joshua 6 and 7, we're going to look at quite a bit of Scripture today. Before we do that, let's make one thing clear. We don't receive our new beginnings from God by following God's commands. Our new beginning is a gift. It's always a gift. It was a gift to the Israelites. It's a gift to us. But the new life we live after the new beginning is one of obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we never earn a new beginning from God. It's not like we work really, really hard and God said, here's your new beginning God offers us the new beginning freely, and then after we receive the new beginning from God, whatever it might be, especially in our case, if it would be a new life from Jesus Christ, then after that, God purposes us to live our lives fully and completely by following his commands. So as we turn to Joshua 6, what we're going to see is Jericho was a heavily fortified city. Joshua knew that Israel needed to defeat Jericho before any other place in the, in, the, in the promised land if they were going to have an opportunity to repopulate the promised land. So in previous chapters, Joshua had spent, sent a couple of spies into Jericho to find out Jericho's strengths and weaknesses. And they had nearly been caught, but actually it was a prostitute who protected them, kept them from being captured, but she wanted something from them. She wanted them to protect her and her family to let them live when the Israelites came in to defeat Jericho. They made that arrangement, so they were freed, they were let go, and then uh, this is when it comes time for the battle. At least that's what Joshua thought, but here's what actually happened. As we turn in Joshua chapter 6, verse 1, we read, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. 
But the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. Did you hear that last statement? I have given you Jericho, its king, and all its strong warriors. God was going to provide the first victory for Israel. They, all they had to do was show up. Really, that's all they had to do. They didn't really have to do anything but show up. God's new beginning started with an easy victory for the Israelites. All they had to do was listen to his commands. So the Lord said, you and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priests blowing the horns. When you hear the priests give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. Now, let me ask you, if you were Joshua and God gave you that command, what would you think? Does that sound like a battle plan for victory over a fortified city? Well, we don't know what Joshua thought, but we do know what Joshua did. It says, so Joshua called together the priests and said, take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, march around the town and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horn started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Joshua added an additional comment. He said, do not shout, do not even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. Now the, <laughs> the people didn't know that when Joshua said, don't shout or don't say anything until I give my command, that the command would not come until six days later. Now you talk about a long quiet time. That's what the people faced. And it says, so the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night in the camp. Day two, Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priest with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Did you notice that Joshua got up early on the second day? I mean, think about it. They only had to march around the town one time a day. And yet Joshua gets everybody up early so they could go out and get at it, get, get over there. They go around the town and they come back and they had the rest of the day to sit around and think about it. Could you imagine what they were thinking during those six days? What do you think the Israelite soldiers were saying? Maybe... I'm thinking some of the soldiers are thinking, hey, do you think Joshua might be losing it? This doesn't really seem like a plan for battle. But on the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But this time they went around the town seven times. The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the, his treasury. Joshua added some very specific commands to the command to shout because the Lord has given you this town. He told the people to destroy everything, 
all the people and all the animals. He told them to destroy everything else except the precious metals. For some reason, the precious metals were supposed to be collected and given to the Lord. Why? I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. What we do know is that in other battles, God would let the Israelites keep some of the spoils. But in this particular battle, this very first battle, which was the Lord's battle, everything belonged to the Lord and he wanted Jericho destroyed completely. Now, it was very important that God wanted the precious metals because it's going to become important later in the story. Remember that thought. So when the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it with their swords, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, goats, and donkeys. The walls collapsed as the Lord had promised they would and the people had absolute victory. Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two spies, keep your promise, go to the prostitute's house and bring her out along with all her family. The men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all the other relatives who were with her. They moved her whole family to a safe place near the camp of Israel. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron were kept for the treasury of the Lord's house. So Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute and her relatives who were with her in the house because she had hidden the spies Joshua sent to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua invoked this curse. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. So the Israelites kept their promise to Rahab and her family, which is a really good thing, because if you read the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew and Luke, what you find is that Rahab is one of Jesus' ancestors, like a great, 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 a lot of greats, grandmother of Jesus. The Israelites had won their first battle in the promised land, and they suffered zero casualties. Not a single Israelite was hurt during the battle. In the final verse of Joshua 6 reads, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the land. The Lord was with Joshua. People in the land, the promised land, the land of the Canaanites, as it was known before it became known as the promised land again, every single one of them was going to hear about the name of Joshua. Joshua's name was soon going to be a household word in the promised land. So it appeared that this unlikely victory was a complete success and that Israel would now reclaim the promised land without much difficulty at all. But that was not to be the case. As we turn to Joshua 7, here's what we read. But Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things, so the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. Achan was the son of Carmi, a descendant of Zimri, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah. In all of Israel, all but one person followed God's commands, but Achan did not. Notice the first statement that we read in Joshua 7. It says, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for God. We might be thinking, well, no, Israel didn't violate the instructions. It was only one guy. It was just this guy named Achan. I mean, how could God say that Israel violated the instructions? It was just one person. But here's the thing. God loves each of us individually. God saves each of us individually. He gives us a new beginning individually. And we're accountable for our own sins. But God also considers us to be a holy people. That was certainly true in the days of Israel. And so Achan's sin was Israel's sin. 
Just as Adam, the very first man, when he sinned, it brought sin to all of humanity and we're all considered sinners. No one but the Lord knew what Achan had done. The next battle for Israel was a small and seemingly insignificant battle against a place called Ai. I've always loved that name because it's just two letters, Ai, and it's pronounced Ai. Anyway, um, you know, Ai was really not very big, but um, Joshua did the same thing he did with Jericho. He sent a couple spies in, and when they came back, here's their report. It says, Joshua sent some spies of his men from Jericho to spy out the town of Ai, Ai at east of Bethel near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, there's no need for all of us to go up there. It won't take more than two or 3,000 men to attack Ai. Since there are so few of them, don't make all our people struggle to go up there. So the entire nation of Israel had marched around Jericho for seven days. I mean, the entire nation, more than a million people. But now what the Israelite spies are saying is, hey, it's only gonna take two or 3,000 men. We don't need to bother with this. It's a small, insignificant place. So here's what we read. Approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the town gate as far as the quarries, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slopes. The Israelites were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events, and their courage melted away. Now, here's another unlikely victory. You know, you probably thought I was only going to talk about victories for God's people, victories for us, but this is a very unlikely victory. The people of Ai didn't have a snowball's chance in August of beating the Israelites, and yet they did because 36 Israelites died in the battle. Not a single one had died against Jericho, the mightiest nation in the promised land, but this little insignificant city had defeated Israel, and 36 Israelites died. Joshua and the elders, this is what happens. Joshua and the elders of Israel tore their clothing in dismay. They threw dust on their heads. They bowed face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord until evening. Then Joshua cried out, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you bring us across the Jordan River if you're going to let the Amorites kill us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side. Lord, what can I say now that Israel has fled from its enemies? For when the Canaanites and all the other people living in the land hear about it, they will surround us and wipe our name off the face of the earth. And then what will happen to the honor of your great name? Joshua did the right thing. He went to the Lord immediately. Everybody did. They, They bowed down in prayer before the Lord. But then Joshua started to blame the Lord. You know, he said, look, you were the one who gave us victory over Jericho, but look what happened now. We, did, we were defeated by this little city, and what's going to happen? All the people of the Canaanites are going to hear, and they're going to come. It's going to be them are going to be strong and courageous, and we're going to be the ones that are defeated. Our name's going to be blotted out of the face of the earth. So here's how God responds. But the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why are you lying on your face like this? Israel has sinned and broken my covenant. They have stolen some of the things that I commanded must be set apart for me. And they have not only stolen them, but have lied about it and hidden the things among their own belongings. That is why the Israelites are running from their enemies in defeat. For now Israel itself has been set apart for destruction. I will not remain with you any longer unless you destroy the things among you that were set apart for destructions. Please hear what was just happening here. God told Joshua to stand up. He didn't want Joshua's prayers. Hear that. He didn't want Joshua's prayers. He wanted Israel's obedience. Remember, only one person had sinned, but the entire nation was paying the penalty. You know, 36 men had died in battle because Achan had sinned because of his selfishness and greed. If we read the rest of Joshua 7, what happens is, Achan is identified. I mean, he's identified and his family's identified out from all of the people and tribes of Israel. And he's executed by the Israelites. 
Many miss the vital point of this account because they're so offended that God would wipe out the nations that were already living in the land so that Israel could have their promised land back or even are upset because God told the Israelites to kill Achan. But this is the point. God always judges sin unless the sinner repents and returns to him. Or in the plural, God always judges sin unless the sinners repent and return to him. If we're going to experience the new beginnings that God created us for to experience, whether that's each one of you and me, you know, whether that's us collectively, whether it's our entire nation or the, the entire world, what has to happen first is that we have to experience God's most unlikely victory of all. That's really the, 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 the key here today. The most unlikely victory of all is this. God defeated sin and death through Jesus' death on the cross. We're all guilty of sin. We're all people like Achan who see the shiny things and we want them in our lives. And so for that to be overcome, God, in the, in the days of Israel, he judged Achan and his family. In the days of Israel, he judged. He used the people of Israel to judge the people of the promised land. You realize the Canaanites who lived in the land, they had a chance to know the living God. They had met Abraham, they had met Isaac, they had met Jacob when they lived in the land. They had heard about the God of Israel. They knew and experienced the power of the God of Israel, but they rejected that. So God judged these nations. And then the thing is, God actually judged the people of Israel through other nations. The nation of Assyria, the nation of Babylon were the ones God used to judge his people of Israel and Judah. And the truth of the matter is, we don't have to like that. We don't have to believe that God has used people to judge other people. We don't have to believe that God judges sin and that every single person's sin must be judged unless we repent of it. But God wants to save us. That's the key. God wants to save us from sin and death. And Jesus' victory on the cross demonstrates just how much. So many times over the years, people have said to me, I could never believe in a God who would send people to hell. And here's the truth. God doesn't send people to hell. In fact, the only way to get to hell is literally over Jesus' dead body. Have you ever thought about that? God so much wants us to be in relationship with him, wants our sins to be forgiven, wants us to have new lives, that he sent Jesus to live the only perfect life ever lived, to die in our place on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, the penalty paid, and he rose from the dead to show us the new life, the new beginnings that we can have. And the Israelites did experience life in the promised land. But even once they got into the promised land, they had these cycles where they would disobey God, and then they would be put into punishment for that sin, and then they would repent, and they would return to God. God would send a deliverer. And if you read the book of Judges, the book that comes after Joshua, what you find is these cycles repeat over and over and over again where the Israelites disobey, they are subjected to slavery and punishment, then they repent. And God always delivers them. He never gives up. He gives them a second chance. He sends a deliverer. God's ultimate deliverer, God's ultimate second chance is Jesus. The apostle Paul put it this way. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Imagine a slave becoming a son or daughter. 
It seems so unlikely, doesn't it? I mean, a slave becoming a son or daughter, but that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what God did for you and me in Jesus Christ. We couldn't free ourselves. The giant of sin was just too big for us. We couldn't, we couldn't get over you know, taking the shiny things for ourselves in life. So God sent Jesus. He came and trampled down death by his death. He destroyed sin by dying on the cross in our place, by, coming, by becoming sin for us. No one could have seen that coming. It's the most unlikely victory ever. None of us could have ever seen that Jesus was the means by which death would be conquered through his death. His followers didn't see it. Think about it. If you read the four Gospels and you read the account of Jesus' resurrection, not one of his followers was waiting outside the tomb on Easter morning. Not one of them thought he was coming back to life. I don't even think the devil, I'm sure the devil didn't realize what was happening. You know, the devil saw Jesus die on Good Friday and he must have celebrated all the way until the glimmer of light came from the tomb on Easter morning and he realized, oh no, Jesus is alive again. What an amazing victory. You see, God's love and mercy overcomes judgment and death once we receive it. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live the new life, the new beginning that we were created to live. And we can have that new life anytime we want to. And even when we walk away from it, we can return to it by repenting and responding to the blessing of God. And that's why today's next step is, I will follow God's commands in my life this week. You see, obedience to Jesus follows receiving the new beginning. Once again, we don't receive the new beginning by, by being obedient. We receive the new beginning by simply asking for it, by repenting of our sin, turning away, and receiving the new life. But once we have Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord in our lives, as Jesus said, once we're born again, we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we live in obedience, we receive the fullness of that new beginning. We do our part and God does our part. Think about it. In the days of Joshua, what was the Israelites' part? Simply walk around the city. God did his part, knocked down the walls. In our day, our part is responding to Jesus, his invitation to trust him as Savior and Lord. And then after he does his part, which is give us salvation and bring the Holy Spirit into our lives, we just live that new life in his ways and purpose. In a real sense, it's very simple. I've always said that the Christian life is simple but not easy. It's really as simple as ABC. If you've never responded to Jesus as your Savior and Lord, right now, all you have to do, number one, is A, admit. Admit that you're a sinner. Admit that you have not lived the life that God created you to live. Admit that you're like Achan. You like the shiny stuff. Or admit that you're like any of the other sinners who have ever lived. You know, you just want to be in charge or you just haven't trusted God. You don't believe Him enough to trust Him to provide what's needed in your life. That's what we do. We admit our sin. Then we believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Savior means that Jesus rescues us from sin and death. Lord means he gets to tell us what to do. And the, the amazing thing is he will always tell us what's best for us, even when we don't know what it is. And then C, we confess to the Lord our sins. It's not enough to admit we're sinners. We, we probably all have said, man, I'm not, I'm not who I ought to be. That's, that's great. But we need to confess it to the Lord, tell him we have sinned and turn away from it, and then confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. And when we do those three things, what happens is we receive a new life. We receive a new beginning. And if you've never done that, let's do it right now. We're going to pray together and we're going to pray for God's new beginning 
to become part of your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus came and provided the most unlikely victory in the history of humanity by dying in our place. His death killed death. His death conquered sin. And God, today I pray for anyone who's listening who has never trusted him, trusted Jesus, Savior and Lord, to right now say, I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I need Jesus. And right now I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, Lord and God, Savior. And and I, I claim that for my life. And right now I confess to you, God, my sins. And I ask you to wipe them away as you promised to do. And I confess that Jesus is Savior and Lord in my life. And God, all of us who have done that at one point, all of us who have already said yes to the new beginning that you've offered, we pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit so that we too can live the new beginning or another new beginning today and that we can follow your commands and will follow your commands so we'll experience your blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. If you're one of the folks who just said yes to Jesus for the very first time, I'd ask you to raise your hand in the chat. There's a button you can click that says raise your hand and someone will talk to you about what it means to live that new life in Jesus Christ. For everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Have a blessed week and remember, we have new beginnings and once we have those new beginnings, we receive the fullness of that new beginning by following his command. Let's do that together. Amen.